Let's jump into our teaching. What we did last Sunday is we introduced a teaching series called Hop on the Bus. And this came from a quote by Bob Goff who said that the Christian life is a journey in community together. He said, so think bus, not unicycle. And too many people in their Christian faith are doing the unicycle faith. They're just trying to go it alone. And there's not room for anybody else on the unicycle. But we're supposed to do this on a bus together with other people going in the same direction together. And so we shared our vision for our new discipleship process and doing life together in community last Sunday. You can see here is our our new logo for our discipleship process. And we dug into Hebrews chapter 10, and what we learned from Hebrews chapter 10 is the writer said, let us draw near to God. And so we came up with the phrase, encounter God. The writer said, do not forsake the gathering together, but be an encouragement to one another. And so we came up with the phrase, belong in community. The writer said, hold fast the confession of your hope. And we came up with the phrase, build your faith. And the writer said, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And so we came up with the phrase, engage in service. And we put these phrases into a circle so that you would realize that the discipleship process never ends. You don't suddenly graduate and now you're a disciple. You're always in the discipleship process. And as you move your way through the circle and then you start over again and then maybe you become a leader and you guide somebody else through the circle and the process continues to move and to replicate. So this is our new mission statement at Kauai Bible Church. Encounter God, belong in community, build your faith, engage in service. Four phrases that all of us can memorize, we can all remember, we can be a part of, and we can share with others. So we're kind of excited about that. And last week, I shared with you that this was going to simplify how we did church. And I want to give you a visual illustration of, of simplifying how we do church. And I want to compare for you two companies, two companies that basically do the same thing. One is Google, and the other is Yahoo. Both of these companies started in the mid to late 90s when the dot-com boom was happening, when all of these websites were coming on the scene and stock prices were skyrocketing and people were getting rich. Google and Yahoo were both a part of this dot-com boom. And they both basically did the same thing. They were a search engine. And they were a web portal, which means they offered things like email service. So they're basically the same company. They offer a search engine and they offer email. But these two companies had a totally different philosophy in how they were going to present themselves. So I present to you first Google. And here is Google's homepage. If you go to Google.com, it always looks like this. The logo might change depending on some sort of a seasonal graphic or something, but it always looks like this. What is this? It's incredibly simple. All you see when you go to their page is you see the search bar in the middle of the page because they're a search engine. And then in the upper right corner of the page is where you go to your Google suite. And that's where I use. I got my email there. I've got the church server there. And and we've got it all there. And that's it. Nothing else on this page distracts you, right? If I look at this page, it's like, well, I'm not trying to get lucky, so I'm not going to push that button. Otherwise, it's just a search engine and an email server. And that's it. It's simple. Now, let's compare that with Yahoo. 
All right, if you go to yahoo.com, it's going to look something like this. Yes, there's still a search bar, and yes, you can still click on your email in the upper right-hand corner, but those are the only similarities. You go to Yahoo's page, and it's like, oh, my goodness, here's 37 headlines I have to read. And then over on the side, here's the top 10 trending searches. I should look at these because everybody else is looking at these. Oh, and there's the weather report. And then if I scroll down, there's even more. There's sports scores. And it says that if I'm a Hawaii driver with no tickets, I have to read this. And then down at the bottom, there's all the best videos from TV that I should watch. I go to Yahoo's website, and I'm all over the place. I don't know what's going on, but I'm distracted, and I'm doing 20 different things. The difference between Google and Yahoo. Why is this important? Because Google is thriving and booming, and Yahoo is struggling. Why is that? Because simple works. Simple works. And so if we go back to our logo of our discipleship process, we want to make it as simple as possible for people to be a part of what we're doing. So it's simple. We want you to come to church and encounter God. Once you've come to church and encountered God, we want you to find a belong group and get into community in a belong group. Then after you've been in belong group for a while, somebody might approach you and invite you to join a rooted group to go deeper in building your faith. And then while you're in that rooted group, they're going to encourage you to engage in service by serving on a ministry team. And then the circle starts all over again. It's that simple. That's what we want to do, and that's our goal. So this is our new vision and our new mission, and now what we're going to do for the next few Sundays is we're going to take each one of these phrases and teach it a little bit deeper so that we have a little bit more of a, of a picture of what we're trying to accomplish. And so our first phrase is encounter God. And today I want to teach with you guys on encountering God, but specifically encountering God together. So for Encounter God, the main place we're going to accomplish that is together in church when we're having church services. We're also going to sprinkle in some Encounter nights, some Friday nights and Saturday nights where we come together just to worship and encounter God together. But Encountering God, to to get into this, I want to present to you what I call a Christian dichotomy. Dichotomy is a fancy word that just means two things that are opposites but yet they work together, all right? It's a dichotomy. It's two things that are opposite, but yet they work together. So what is the Christian dichotomy? What are the two opposites about our faith? Well, the first part is our faith is intensely personal. It's intensely personal. And this is different from the Jewish faith that Christianity came out of because in Judaism, everything was communal, you were born into the faith, right? You were, you were Jewish because your mom and dad were Jewish. You were Jewish because you were of the family line of Abraham, and you were a part of the collective. And if the, the priest was offering sacrifices, the sacrifices covered everybody. And either the whole nation was good or the whole nation was not good, right? And if the whole nation was not good, then judgment came. And judgment came on everybody, Even if you individually were doing pretty good, judgment still came on you because the judgment came on everybody. But if the nation was good, then blessings came on everybody. Even if you as an individual were not doing so hot, 
The blessings came on everybody. It was a very communal type of an atmosphere. But in Christianity, it's different now. It's intensely personal. You have to experience Jesus personally yourself. Your heart has to authentically be surrendered to Jesus. It doesn't matter if your mom or dad went to church. It's got to be personal for you. It doesn't matter if you're in church and everybody else is worshiping and you're just hoping some of it splashes on you. No, you have to have a personal relationship. It's intensely personal. But the flip side of that dichotomy is that it has to be lived out in community. It's intensely personal, but it has to be lived out in community. I've got to have this faith that I experience in my own heart, but now I'm going to walk it out with other people as we walk it out together. Intensely personal, yet lived out in community. So as we look at how this applies to our corporate worship gathering, the first thing as I studied this that really jumped out at me is that the New Testament says very little about the corporate worship gathering. It doesn't really give us a whole lot to work with on what it should look like. And so we have to just piece together a few general ideas, but then God really gives us the freedom to implement those ideas in the way that's going to work best in our time and in our culture. There's very little about it. First off, it says nothing about time and place. And I think this is significant because, again, under Judaism, it was all about time and place. You had to be here. You did the sacrifice on this day of the year. This feast happened here. Everybody gathers together here. And their worship and, and, and their community was based on time and place. And yet in the Bible, in the New Testament, it doesn't give us any instructions on time and place. In fact, Jesus rebukes time and place. Right? He's, when he's at the well with the woman at the well, and she's asking him, she's saying, Jesus, the, the, the Jews, you guys worship in Jerusalem, and the Samaritans, we worship on this mountain. Which one of us is right? And Jesus says, neither, because the time is coming and now is when it's not going to matter where you worship or when you worship. What's going to matter is that you worship in spirit and in truth. So Jesus rebuked the time and the place. So it's not about time and place. And you say, yeah, pastor, but we gather in the same place at the same time every Sunday morning. And my answer to that is, yeah, we do that because it works, not because the Bible says we have to. You guys with me? All right. I mean, if we started having church on Thursday night, people would freak out. But Bible doesn't tell us that time and place is what matters. So what does matter? What does matter is that you as an individual have a personal, authentic relationship with Jesus, and then that you experience that journey in relationship with others. So I don't forsake the gathering together of people. So, so here's how it works. When I'm gathered together with the church, we're going to worship together. We're going to study the Bible together. We're going to praise God together. We're going to pray together. We're going to hold each other accountable together. But then when I leave the church and I'm alone, I don't stop doing those things. Jesus said if I'm going to follow him, I'm going to follow him 24-7, not just at 1030 on Sunday mornings but all day long. So all the things that I do together with the church, I also do together, do, do privately when I'm alone. Are you guys with me? So here's the thing. If the only time you do spiritual things is at church, that's religion. 
That's not following Jesus. If the only time you do spiritual things is at church, that's just religiosity. That's not what Jesus is asking for. What he's asking for is that we do these things together, but then my personal faith is also lived out when I'm alone. And so people can fall at either end of the spectrum. So one end of the spectrum is I only do spiritual things when I'm at church, and that's religiosity. The other end of the spectrum is I only do spiritual things alone, and that's not biblical. So both ends of the spectrum are wrong. We've got to find this dichotomy of our faith where when we're together with the church, we worship, and when I'm not with the church, I'm still living out my authentic faith with Jesus. You guys with me? So we're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. If you've got your Bibles, you can go there. I'm just going to read one word from verse 12, and then we're really going to study verses 16 and 17 today. But Colossians chapter 3 and verse 12, in in the translation that I'm teaching from, starts out with the word, so. So. So what's another word for so? So. Therefore, all right, we've been hammering therefore for the last several Sundays, right? What is it therefore? Well, he, what it means is he's going to base his new thought off of everything that he just discussed. So what did he just discuss in the first 11 verses of chapter 3? Well, he just discussed that we are raised up with Christ, which means we've experienced the resurrection of Jesus, that we are going to set our hearts and minds on the things of heaven, that we're going to put off the things of the earth, which basically means we're going to put to death the old man and the old way of doing things, and we're going to put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of Jesus himself. Right? So he's describing all of this. What is significant about this? All of this is intensely personal. This is everything that you do as an individual. You've experienced the resurrection of Jesus. You have aligned your heart and mind with the things of heaven. You have put off the things of the earth. That Greek word for put off and put on, those are clothing words. It's like taking off an old cloak and putting on a new cloak. You have taken off the old ways of doing things, and now you've put on this new way, this new life that Jesus has given you. All of that is intensely personal. And now what Paul is saying is he's saying, therefore, based off of you doing all these things that are intensely personal, now I want to describe to you how we do this together in community. Are you guys with me? So he then begins to describe how we do this together in community. Now I'm going to skip verses 12 through 15. Why? Because I'm going to teach them in a couple of weeks on a different topic. Today, we're going to dive into verses 16 and 17 because this is our topic of encountering God together as a church. Let's read these two verses together. It says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So Paul starts out in verse 16 and says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So that means that the first primary focus of our gathering together as a church is that we would be filled with the Word of God. That's our first focus. That is our goal, is that we would be filled with the Word of God. Now, I just want to tell you about kind of where I'm at on my journey. 
and it's totally okay if you're at a different place on your journey, but this is kind of where I'm at. I listen to a lot of preachers. I listen to a lot of podcasts and different speakers from all over the country, and, and when I'm listening to these speakers, I'm at the point now where if somebody is a great speaker, you know, they're really engaging, they're a great storyteller, but that's all they're doing is telling stories, and there's no Bible in it, I lose interest. I tune out. Maybe I even turn it off and move on to a different podcast. That's just where I'm at now. I don't want the Word of God to be a little add-on to the end of your story. I don't want the Word of God to be an afterthought after you've taught what you wanted to teach. Now you're just going to throw a little Bible in at the end to make it all fit together. That's not what I want. You know what? Your stories aren't going to transform my life. Your thoughts aren't going to transform my life. The only thing that's going to transform my life is the Word of God. And therefore, as we gather together as a church service, our goal is to be filled with the Word of God. We are going to get into the Word until the Word gets into our hearts. We're going to get into the Word until the Word gets into our hearts. Our first primary focus is being filled with the Word of God. Now, there's a second primary focus. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul, who wrote both Colossians and Ephesians, writes almost the same exact thing. So in Colossians 3, 16 and 17, he writes it, and then in Ephesians 5, 18 to 21, he writes almost the same exact thing to a different church. The only difference is the first line. In Colossians, the first line is, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. In Ephesians 5 and verse 18, the first line is, do not get drunk with wine, for that is sin, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to describe the exact same thing. So that tells me that if to one church in Colossae, he says, be filled with the word of God, and to this other church in Ephesus, he says, be filled with the spirit, and then he describes the same type of a church service, that tells me that we should have two primary purposes, to be filled with the word of God and to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that's our goal when we gather together as a church. Our goal is to be filled with the word and to be filled with the spirit of God. That's how we should grade our church services. If we're going to evaluate our church services, that's how we should evaluate them. It shouldn't be because, well, they played a song that I like. Or, man, the sound man really got it right this week. The sound sounded really good. Or, my friends were there. I really enjoyed hanging out with my friends. Or, we don't grade it by any of that. We grade it by, did I leave church today filled with the word? Did I leave church today filled with the spirit of God? Then it was a good day then it was a good day. And if we're not leaving filled with that, then we need to reevaluate what we're doing. But that is the primary goal. So then Paul begins to tell us how to accomplish this. So back to verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And then he says, with all wisdom. So first, this is accomplished with wisdom. That's the first blank there in your notes. We want to accomplish this with wisdom. Well, what is wisdom? Well, if knowledge is the accumulation of facts and data, then wisdom is the proper application of that knowledge. Wisdom is, based on everything I've learned, this is the right thing to do. 
And so if Paul is telling us that when we gather together as a church, we need to do it with wisdom, then what he is saying is we need to take everything we know about God and the Bible, we need to take everything we know about the current culture that we live in, and we need to create a church service with wisdom. So we should create a service that both reaches mature Christians and allows them to encounter God, but that also reaches people that, 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 that have never gone to church before and allows them to encounter God. We should have a church service that allows the Spirit to move freely, but we need to balance that with making sure that emotionalism doesn't kick in and people don't, don't start doing weird stuff, right? We've got we've to have balance. We've got to have wisdom. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to have wisdom in how we put our church services together. He then continues and says, teaching. So there you go. That was really easy. Our second one is teaching. Our church services are always going to include teaching. We're going to teach the Bible. We're going to teach what God says. And then he says, and admonishing one another. And admonishing one another. So our third one is admonishing. What does admonishing mean? It means a warning or a challenge. So when we gather together as a church, there should be a certain level of challenge. There should be a certain level to where we're provoked. Not so much so that we stop enjoying coming to church, but enough so that it continues to propel us forward. And in this seeker-sensitive kind of day and age that we live in where people are trying to make churches just to make people feel as comfortable as possible, what they really do is they try to take all of the challenge they try to take all of the warning out of the church service. And the problem with that is that if you take all of the challenge out of the church service, it's really great for building the church in numbers, but it's terrible for building disciples. You can build the church in numbers, but you're not going to grow people as disciples. There needs to be an admonishment. The word has got to warn you. If you're walking this way and it's the wrong way, then when you come to church, there should be some warning bells going off that are saying, danger, Will Robinson. You need to stop going that direction. We need to go a different direction. Or there needs to be a challenge where you're thinking, I want to live life this way, and God is saying, no, I'm challenging you to live a different way admonishing our church services should provide a challenge for us to move to change directions to grow the next one is the operation of spiritual gifts the operation of spiritual gifts here's the thing teaching and admonishing are both spiritual gifts so when paul says that our church services should include teaching and admonishing what he's also saying is that our church services should include spiritual gifts. And teaching and admonishing are only two of them. There's lots more. There's prophesying. There's faith. There's healing. There's encouragement. Right? There's, there's uh, speaking in tongues and interpreting the tongues. There's, there's so many other spiritual gifts. And we want to see the operation of spiritual gifts taking place within our church. And then finally in verse 16 he says this with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. So our church services are always going to include singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The psalms being obviously the book of psalms from the Old Testament. Hymns, now let's stop right here. 
Because I know some of you are thinking right now, see, pastor, I told you we're supposed to be singing hymns in church. Well, let me just clarify that the songs that you're thinking of were not the songs that Paul was thinking of when he wrote this. A hymn simply means a religious song that praises God. That's what a hymn is. It doesn't define when it was written or what style it's in. So according to this word, all the songs we sing in church are hymns. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, other translations call them songs of the Spirit. What are spiritual songs? Well, that's when a song breaks out spontaneously. And you actually got an example of that today. Pastor Danae has really been developing this gift in her life that we'll be in the middle of a worship service and a spontaneous song will break out. It's never been sung before. It's never been practiced. It just moves in the Spirit. Or sometimes we'll be in a song set and the Spirit will move to sing a song that's not even in the song set. So that's the spontaneity. That's the spiritual songs. So... This is the only instruction we have for what our worship gatherings should include. They should be put together with wisdom. They should include teaching. They should include a challenge. They should have the operation of the spiritual gifts, and they should include us singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together. So at Kauai Bible Church, our church services are always going to include these things with the primary goal that every one of us would leave here filled with the Word of God and filled with the Spirit of God. So let me just share with you guys a few thoughts on this whole idea of encountering God together as a church. These are some things that God just really impressed upon me that, that are important that I'm hoping, my prayer is, that they will affect the way that we approach church. Maybe they'll affect the way that we even prepare to come to church. You guys ready? Four thoughts on encountering God together. The first one is this, that God is glorified. Colossians 3.17 that we just read. What did it say? It said, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So this is kind of the catch-all, right? They only gave us a few really basic guidelines, and then Paul says, basically it goes like this. Whatever you say or do, do it for the glory of Jesus with gratitude in your hearts. So that means that for us, as we come together to encounter God, The ultimate goal is that God is glorified. We're going to come together, and whatever we do and whatever we say is going to glorify God. And God has told us that if we would lift up Jesus and glorify him, he would draw the people unto himself. And so we're going to come together, and we are going to glorify God. And again, here's the thing. It told us that we need to have wisdom, teaching, admonishing, spiritual gifts, and singing songs. It didn't tell us how long that was supposed to last. It doesn't tell us what order to do it in. It doesn't tell us we have to do it the same way every Sunday. It just tells us that we have to include all of that. And if we include all of that and we use this catch-all to say, if God is glorified, we're going to have church, we're going to glorify God. That's what we're going to do. We're going to lift him up. Whatever we say, whatever we do is going to glorify him. And if it's not glorifying him, we're going to approach it and we're going to make changes to it. The second one here, now we're going to push a little bit. How about this one? God is enough. God is enough. I don't want us to fall in the trap that we're worshiping God to get to something else. 
that we're going to worship God to get to something else. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, it means like um, I'm sick, and so I'm going to worship God because I want him to heal me. So I'm worshiping God to get to the healing, right? Or as a church, we're going to worship God so that more people will come to Jesus. So I'm actually worshiping God to get to the evangelism, right? Or I'm, I'm worshiping God to get to the goosebumps feeling that I really like. See, if we're doing that, then God isn't enough. We're actually worshiping God to try to get to something more because God himself isn't enough. Listen to how Paul phrased it. In Philippians 3.8, Paul says this, More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. You hear what he's saying? He's saying everything else is rubbish. Nothing else matters. All I want is Jesus. Jesus is enough, and Jesus has cost me everything, and that's okay because Jesus is enough. In the very next chapter in Philippians 4.11, he says, Not that I speak from once, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. Basically what he's saying is there have been times when I've had plenty of money and plenty of food and times have been good and there have been times where I've been naked and starving and times have been bad. And he said, I've learned to be content no matter which circumstance I'm in. What is he saying? He's saying God is enough. No matter whether I have a lot of stuff or I have no stuff, God is enough. Why is this important? Because I believe this. I believe that if simply encountering God himself is not enough for you, then nothing that God does will be enough for you either. And this is a challenge to our hearts. If simply encountering God himself is not enough, then nothing else will be enough either. He'll heal you, but then you'll still want more. He'll come through and do something amazing, but you'll still walk away. If God himself isn't enough, then nothing else will be enough either. So we need to come to worship with the idea that I am coming simply to encounter God because God is enough. I'm not coming to worship because I'm expecting something more. We're not going to worship because we're hoping for a bigger offering. We're not going to worship because we're hoping more people get healed. No, we're going to worship simply because God is enough. And we're going to bring the attitude that everything else is rubbish and God is enough. Here's the third one. God is going to move. If we will worship with pure hearts that say that God is enough, then God is going to move. Listen to Zephaniah chapter 3. I love this. Verses 14 through 17. He says, shout for joy. Other translations say, sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all of your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. And then listen to verse 17. This is how God responds. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. 
Did you hear that? It said if you will sing to God, God will sing back to you. That if you shout for joy to God, God is actually shouting for joy over you. So as silly as you feel when you're jumping around and getting excited and shouting for joy, can you imagine that God in the spiritual realm is doing the same thing and there's thousands of angels around him doing the same thing, but he's shouting for joy for you. The God of the universe, the almighty one, the perfect one is shouting for joy for you. And then he's singing over you. Have you ever stopped to think about what song is God singing over me? Because whatever God says is true, and whatever God says is guaranteed to happen. So what is he declaring over you? What word is he speaking? What promise is he singing? What is he declaring? Because whatever he declares over your life will happen. So if we will shout for joy, if we will sing, if we will rejoice with all of our hearts, God will move. Now, we can't control how he's going to move. We don't know what he's going to do. We just know he's going to move. And maybe this week he heals somebody. And maybe next week he encourages somebody. And maybe the next week he brings a miraculous breakthrough for somebody. And, and maybe one week it makes church last really long. And maybe another week it makes church last really short. But all we know is that God is going to move. And we can't control it. And we can't dictate it. All we can do is show up and worship him with all of our hearts because he is enough. Amen? Woo, come on. Let me invite the worship team to come back. The final one is this. God is going to use us. God is going to use us. Listen to 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Paul says this. What is the outcome then, brothers? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. And edification means building each other up. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that when you gather together, one person's going to have a psalm, one person's going to have a prophetic revelation, another person's going to have an encouraging word, another person is going to have a teaching. He is expecting that when we gather together as a church, that he's going to use all of us. Listen, if we move forward and the only people getting prophetic revelations are Pastor Danae and myself, then we're not doing it right. He wants to use all of us. And it'll be somebody different every week. Somebody will have an encouragement. Somebody will have a prophetic word. Somebody will have a vision. But if we would understand this coming to church, that we're not just coming to church to hear somebody else play songs, but we're coming to church because God is going to use us to bring something to the table, it'll change the way we approach coming to church. I love C.S. Lewis as an author. I love his nonfiction books, and I love his fiction books. If you've ever read the Narnia series or, hey, if you're not a reader and you've watched the movies, that's okay too. No judgment here, okay? But in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the children uh, have encountered Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, and they are describing to the children Aslan the Lion. And Aslan the lion is is symbolic of Jesus, right? Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And as they describe Aslan to the lion, to these children, the children then ask the question, well, 
Is he safe? And listen to Mr. Beaver's answer. Mr. Beaver says, safe? Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. And he's the king, I tell you. He's good. I tell you what, church, when we begin to gather together and we begin to encounter God as a church together, it won't always be safe. You say, what do you mean, pastor? Well, you know, some dangerous things could happen. God could change the way you think. He might change the way you live. He might change the paradigm of your life. And what you thought was safe and comfortable is going to get stirred up. And he might send you to some uncomfortable places. He might send you to some uncomfortable people. He might challenge you to some difficult things. He's a lion. He's not safe, but he is good. And he is worth going after. He is the king, and he is worth worshiping. And if we will go after him as a church, and if we will glorify him, and if we will worship him for no other reason than he is enough, and if we will come prepared that God could use us today, then God will move, and we will encounter the lion of the tribe of Judah, and we will be transformed. And listen, if we leave here full of the word of God and full of the Holy Spirit, as an individual, we'll be world changers. But as a church together, we'll be an unstoppable force. Oh, nothing will move us. Nothing will stop us. Nothing will shake us. That is our goal. Will you stand with me today? Let's go after God right now. Let's worship Him for no other reason than He is enough, that we want to encounter Him, that we want to make ourselves available to whatever He wants to do, to whatever He wants us to become, that we would open up our hearts and we would simply wait on Him and we would allow the Spirit to move and that we would leave here today full of Jesus, full of the Spirit, full of the Word. Let's worship together.